0: Would you stand, would you stand to your feet? Every now and then again, I, I feel the compulsion to talk like I'm gonna talk today. I'm gonna preach a sermon in story form today. I'm gonna read you a story. I'm gonna preach a sermon in story form. I'm doing it for two reasons. Number one, because my spirit says this is what I should do. And number two, because when things like this happen, I'm about to preach about takes place in my spirit so I want you to put your hand over your heart and say pastor preach to us today let the word touch my heart let the word change my heart pastor preach the word to us today let the word touch my mind let it change my mind preach to us today pastor let me leave here a better person than I was when I came in. Amen. I want you to shake two or three hands and say, I'm glad to be with you church. If you want to be at the funeral this afternoon, it starts at 3 o'clock. We'd love to have you. God bless. God bless. God bless. Amen. And you may be seated. The Lord bless you. Richard Baxter was a Puritan pastor. And he made this statement one day, I preach is never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying men. A little boy stood at the counter of a burger restaurant with his mom and he had just learned to read and was trying to figure out the menu board. His mother said, what do you want to eat, son? And he said, I don't know what I want. I don't want a chicken sandwich and I don't want cheeseburger and fries. I don't want a grilled cheese. And he grew upset and began to cry. And his mom ordered for him, said, give him a burger all the way. And she took him over to the drink machine, got his drink, and set him down and made him, and made him eat the burger. He ate the burger and continued to cry. Finally, he pointed to the menu board above the counter and said, Mom, what I wanted ain't up there. There's a lot of people I know and I meet every day that don't want what is on the board. They want something not on the board. So please let me tell you a story this morning, a story that I will simply call The Nameless Longing. My name is not important. You won't find me in your Bible, but you will find the name of my sister, my husband, and my son. My sister is Tappanese, the queen of all of Egypt, wife of the Pharaoh. She's not only my sister, she's my matchmaker. She introduced me to my husband to be a man named Hadad, meaning the sun, as the one that shines in the sky. You see the name a number of times in the Bible. One of Ishmael's sons was named Hadad. But most likely it's associated with the country of Edom, known as the land of Esau. Hadad, Hadar, Ben-Hadad, all denote names of royalty in Edom. My husband was a prince, once destined to be a king. But a cruel and ruthless warrior named Joab came from Israel to Edom. And this Joab spread desolation and death across the land of Esau. So complete was the devastation that Joab had to use his own men to bury the dead. And that took six months. Very few escaped. My husband-to-be Hadad was one of those that escaped. Someone saw him cowering in fear, gazing in shock at the carnage. And had mercy on him. And the only prince of Edom survived. They led him here to Egypt. Don't think it's strange. Abraham, and Joseph, and Jacob, and even your Lord Jesus came to Egypt. None stayed, though, like Huss to the prodigal. Egypt feels, but it never truly satisfies. It's no different with my husband, Hey Dad. We married in regal majesty, a wedding any girl would die for. We set up housekeeping in the shadow of the palace, Pharaoh's palace. We were so happy. And yet I knew something was wrong. No, not wrong. Something was missing. My husband was in Egypt, but he was not part of Egypt. Something had a hold on him. Something that I couldn't understand nor interpret. But that was put away when I discovered I was expecting a child. A child is what we needed. Now we would have our own stake in this land of Egypt that would help my husband, Haydad. A boy was born. It's considered a good omen. And as was our custom, I looked to Haydad to name him. I was already weak from childbirth, but I could have fainted when I heard my husband call our son, Jinyabath. Genubath, G-E-N-U-B-A-T-H. His name means cheated. His name means robbed. His name means stolen. By naming our son that, Hey Dad, revealed that deep longing that something has been taken from me. Egypt has a way of taking something from all of us. My son would be recognized as one of Uncle Pharaoh's own children. He grew up in the palace. He went to the same schools as his cousins. He was truly a child of Egypt. Hadad made his connections pay off. He acquired wealth. He acquired positions. He acquired power. So great was his influence in his adopted homeland that the Egyptians began to think of him as one of them. But I knew better. I knew different. As the sands blew across the desert... The years in Egypt attempted to cover Hadad's memories. His memories of his family who had been killed. His memory of his childhood home back in Edom. And as the sun set on another day in Egypt, my husband looked eastward with a faraway look in his eyes. What was he looking at? What was he seeing? What memory was he pondering? Did he see those majestic red rocks of Edom soaring into the sky? Was he reliving some precious moment of his childhood? My husband was living in one place, but thinking about another place. He was blessed mightily in Egypt, but he was dreaming of home. And then the news came, and with the news, our world changed. Solomon now reigned in Israel. His father David had gone to his just reward and and Solomon fulfilled one of his father's last requests. Make an end of the cruelest son of Zariah, Joab. Don't let Joab live, he said. Joab, the man who killed my husband's family, finally had been killed. It should have come as no surprise to me what Hadad did next. In hindsight, Hadad had been preparing for this day. The day when he could act on this nameless longing. This indefinable restlessness I sensed in him all of our married life. He went to our brother-in-law, the Pharaoh. And your Bible says it like this in 1 Kings chapter 11. in The New King James, I'll read it. So when Hadad heard in Egypt that David rested with his fathers. And that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead. Hadad hey said to Pharaoh, Let me depart that I may go to my own country. Then Pharaoh said to him, But what have you lacked with me that suddenly you seek to go to your own country? So he answered, Nothing but let me go anyway. At first, Pharaoh could hardly believe his ears, he had nearly forgotten that Hadad hey wasn't an Egyptian to leave the palace, to leave the ease and the riches, to leave all the friends and the ties, to leave Egypt for a bunch of barren red rocks, really? And I heard my husband say, I have lacked for nothing. You have been kind to me, you adopted me, you made me feel at home but please let me go. But my brother-in-law, the Pharaoh, was a wise man, and he saw in Hadad's eyes something which explained it all. He saw a misery. He saw a wistfulness, an unrequited desire. He was caught in a sway, held captive by the nameless longing. Hadad's story is no different than our own. Each of us has what I call a heart on hold. There's something about blood. There's something about yesterday. There's something about relationships. There's something about the hold God has on the heart of men and women. It's hard to hush those voices that speak to us across the years and speak to us in the middle of the night. You can build yourself walls of creature comfort and you may win all the prizes upon which you set your heart. You can place long and crowded years between you and the faraway past, but you cannot escape the memories of days gone by. And Hadad found all that he sought and more in Egypt, the land of wonders, the beautiful Nile River, the library of Alexandria, the pyramids, the architecture, the rich heritage and history and pageantry, but more preserved in his heart than Egyptian money was a memory of home. He was an exile in a land along the Nile River. And like some precious object pawned for a moment, his heart was on hold, on hold to what was significant. Every man, every woman at some point in their lives feel the urgency of that nameless longing. It is a yearning not for any particular thing, but for something without which the heart still remains poor. Though you possess all the treasures of Egypt, it cannot quite that longing in your heart. The poet Robert Browning was born to and raised in a community just outside of London, England, and he secretly married the sickly Elizabeth Barrett, and he carried her away to Italy. Thought to be better for her health. And there they settled in Florence, Italy, have a child, had a child, and spent 16 years together. Both wrote their poems in relative obscurity. She dies, and Robert buries her in the English cemetery in Florence. And he lived in beautiful Florence, Italy, birthplace of the Renaissance. That's where he lived. Yet after Elizabeth's death, he said this Oh, to be in England now that April is here. So I will arise and go home. Now, there's a hold place on every heart and it's not by accident, it's by design. Or as Cole Porter once wrote, my heart belongs to daddy. Another singer in scripture said it like this in Psalms 139, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me up. The singer goes on to say, you formed me and you made me and you put something in me that cannot be filled with anything that Egypt can offer. It's called the nameless longing So. A heart longs for its creator. That's my second point. Let me preach a little bit here now. That's the nameless longing. Our creator put with each each of us a desire for him. You see, designers of intri- intri- intricate machinery or computer code do this. They put a fail-safe me- mechanism in their designs that if something goes wrong, the fail-safe kicks in. They call it default setting. Call it whatever you will. But our creator put a fail safe mechanism within all of our hearts we simply always will long for God in our hearts I don't care how much of God you know I don't care how least of God you know it does not matter on your darkest night that heart that conscience that soul will always long for God David said, my soul refused to be comforted until I got into your presence. That's what he said. It's a longing. It's a longing. Augustine said this, and in his confessions, he said, you have formed us for yourself. And our hearts are restless till they find rest in you. Intellectual achievements, monetary accumulations, nothing could ever satisfy Augustine. Until he turned his heart to God and the nameless longing was satisfied. Sir, ma'am, I don't wish you anything but success in life today, really. Bright skies, paved roads, great rewards. I wish you comfort, security, good money. But I wish you no ill will. But, but, there is a God-shaped blank in all of us. And it cries out with a nameless longing. And it says things like, I'm missing something in here. There's got to be more of life than just this. The money's good. The job is great. The friends are wonderful. But there is this tug. There's this pull. I ran from it for years. I ignored it, but I'm finding it difficult to ignore now. I can't sleep. It's calling to me. No apologies. But God made you that way. And it's something that you better never try to quiet. You better never try to quiet. It's always been a source of confusion. It seems that man was created twice in the garden. Once in Genesis 1 and once in Genesis 2. Most will say it's mentioned in Genesis 1, then given greater detail in 2. I'm okay with that explanation if you want to live with that. But there's something revealing about Genesis 1, 27. We read male and female created he them. Then in Genesis 2 we read that God's forming of man from the dust of the ground. It's almost as if God wanted us to know the who we are is separate from the body that we have. Eat all the creature comforts you wish but the God who made you spirit soul and body the soul is the fulcrum on a seesaw of human existence the spirit exerts influence one way and the flesh exerts influence the other way the two distinct pulls on a man's soul one comes from the spirit and the other comes from the flesh and the world caters to your flesh everything is carnal or body conscious but God made you first a spirit being because he is spirit and he made you crave and long for his spirit in your life. That's what it's about. Simply put, simply put, there's part of you that will never be satisfied until you surrender to the creator, until you bend your knee, until you bow your head. Till you cry out from the abundance of your heart, God is, God made me, God remake me, God save me. See, Egypt doesn't understand those kind of things. It's a foreign language. It's a different sound. It's a different call. William Broles was 40 years of age and had reached the top of his game. He was senior editor of Newsweek magazine. He grew up right over here in Baytown, Texas, went to school at Rice, fought in Vietnam, and came home to work for Houston Independent School District and was tapped to edit the new magazine called Texas Monthly several years ago. So successful that New York came calling news up the ranks. He was editor-in-chief at the pinnacle of his career. Almost every door in the world was open to him. He was on the phone daily with the rich, the prestigious and the influential, but Bill was unhappy. He said that he had found his job increasingly empty. Each morning he awakened with the taste of despair in his mouth. He said, thinking there's got to be more to life than this. So he quit. He walked away from it all and began climbing mountains and seeking God. He said he understood more about life on top of a mountain than the top of a New York City high rise. And from that exit came works like Brothers in Arms, Apollo 13, Castaway, and other famous works. Because of one thing, that unnamed longing. Marco or Marcia Edelman a doctor in Florida. When she and her husband were relocated to North Carolina, she stopped practicing altogether. And she enrolled in a seminary, graduated, and became a volunteer at her local church. Why? Because of an unnamed longing. There are people all over this world today that have run into this thing and they didn't know what it was. They couldn't explain it. They couldn't describe it. So they called it unnamed. There's just something in here. There's something going on in my spirit. There's something going on in my life. And I don't care what kind of facade you put on it. I don't care what kind of face you put on it. You can't hide what God's doing on the inside of you. It shows through your eyes. And I'm here to tell you something today. I'm bearing a man 48 years of age and we don't have tomorrow promised. And if there's an unnamed longing in your heart today you need to surrender to Jesus Christ today and say I'm tired of Egypt. I'm ready to go home I'm ready to have a relationship with you almighty God in my life I'm ready for that I'm ready for that I'm ready for that in my life I'm ready for that in my life hallelujah hallelujah Hallelujah. their stories are no different than that of hey dad he was in Egypt but his heart belonged elsewhere he was an exile Though he slept in a palace, his heart rested somewhere else. A fetter is still a chain, though it be made of gold, you hear me? And the heart of a man will always be restless until it comes home to God. Let me talk about that, coming home to God. Dr. Albert Schweitzer said it this way, and I love it. He said, we must all be prepared to find that life tries to take from us our belief in the good and the true and our enthusiasm for them. But we need not surrender them. If all of us could become what we were at 14, what a different place the world would be. So I want to talk about being 14. This is not in my notes. But you remember 14? You remember you was kind of goofy? (laughs) You was kind of trying to come out of that... Childhood and try to get into that teen years, and you kind of walked ardvarky. Your teeth didn't fit just right in your mouth. You had pimples. You cowered in corners because you didn't feel accepted. Remember 14? But do you also remember at 14, you that were raised around God and around church? You remember those youth camp calls? You remember when the preacher would get up and say, don't go to hell, and you'd run to the altar thinking the altar was the father's thing from hell? You remember when you had those marshmallows roasting, and you had those consecration services? You didn't want anybody to see it, but you cried like a baby. He was over there weeping because you was 14. You was trying to find your place, and you had a tender spot. You had this spot that you couldn't, you couldn't stab it. You couldn't kill it. You couldn't destroy it. Every time somebody preached something so simple like, are you right with God? Is everything okay? You'd come to the altar and make sure it was okay. You don't have to amen me. I'm hitting you right between the eyes and I know it. But see, you've gotten big now. You've gotten grown. Egypt has been alluring. It's the way it is, and some of you have lost your commitment with deity, and but you hadn't lost that voice, that unnamed longing is still there. It's still there, and 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 and, and Dr. Schweitzer said it this way. He said if we could just go back to those tender times, those times that were just so tender in our life, how many would like to have a a repeat of that in your heart sometime in your life before you go to meet the Lord, amen? Amen. Just have one of those tender moments just so you could just bow your knee and say, Lord, you know, I may be 56 today, but woo, the preacher made me feel like a youngin' again. And I want to be in your presence more than I want anything in this world. I want to love you more than anything in this whole world. I want to worship you with everything that's in my heart. There's this longing in me. I want to get close to you. You've blessed me good. You've financially blessed me. You've blessed me with kids. You've blessed me with home. You've blessed me with a good husband. But God, there just comes times in my life that I just want to bow my knee and say, Hey, 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 I, I just, I, I don't, want to, I don't want to sleep with this longing anymore. I want something birthed in me. I want to be renewed. I want to be born again. Maybe you've never come to the Lord the first time in your life and you want to be born again. That thing that's tapping on the inside of you, that thing that's moving on your heart, that's that spirit that felt good when you was a young person and maybe you walked away and said, you know, I got too much to do to have this in my life, but you don't have too much to do. Living for God is the greatest thing you could ever have in your life. Living for God's the greatest thing you could ever do in your life. Making the decision's the greatest thing you could ever do in your life. Somebody help me right now. Schweitzer went on to say, But the secret of success is to go through life without getting used up. But the only way to do that is to have an inexhaustible supply. you got to come home to God. Storms come to everyone. You're not excluded. The Condry family are going through a storm today, but storms come to everybody. Well, Pastor, you're preaching negative. No, I'm preaching God factor today. Storms come. But oftentimes those storms reveal what is important, what is needful, and what is expendable. In Acts 27, a giant storm struck a ship. The Apostle Paul was on that ship. and The sailors began throwing things overboard. You find out in a storm what you can live without. But you also find in a storm what you can't live without. I said, you find in a storm what you can live without. I don't have to have some of this stuff. But you also find in a storm what you can't live without. The presence of Almighty God in your life. You can't can't live without life and love and fellowship and family and church and God. Some things you don't want to toss over. Can I mention something else? Like, hey, Dad, some of you have been beaten by a cruel captain in your past. You've been hurt and wounded. You have fled out of that place out of fear. Hear the words of this pastor Joab is dead. Hallelujah. The cruel captain is gone. Solomon has come. There is peace in this land. The gospel of saving and enabling grace is preached now. Mercy is the mission and it's own a mission. Let me apologize for some of the hurt that has been done to some of you. But let me say I'm sorry for the non-smart things that were said to you. All the hurts in your past. But let me also stand on God's word and declare a kingdom of eternal peace is being preached here. A greater than Solomon, a kingdom of God is being built. A house of God is being filled. A gospel of healing the sick. A gospel where the, a place for troubled hearts can come and be rested. A hospital for the hurting. Hey Dad, can be healed and so can you. This is a church of healing grace. And you can be healed. It didn't matter if people around him misunderstood his longing. It didn't matter. Nor does it matter people un- don't understand what you're feeling it don't matter in Luke 1 it was said of Mary that holy thing that was in her was of the Holy Ghost say Holy Ghost Ghost. I'm gonna tell you that thing that's moving in your spirit that nameless longing is of the Holy Ghost that nameless longings of the Holy Ghost that's the Holy Ghost that's the Holy Ghost the Holy Ghost is moving in you but no name was yet given the unborn child was the of the holy ghost but once she gave birth the name came you may not understand the nameless longing but once it's born in your life you will know what is that feeling what is that pull what is that longing it's jesus and he's yet to be named in some of your worlds but some of you are going to walk this aisle today and you're going to say jesus i'm ready this, this nameless longing has been wrecking my soul and moving in me. And I'm ready to come home. I'm ready to walk an aisle. I'm ready to say, I love you, Jesus. And I'll repent of my sins. And I want to rise and be baptized in water. And I want to receive the baptism of the... I want everything you have for me in my life. I want it all in my life. I really, really do. Randy, would you come? I'm done. The cat's name was Chester. He was a cool cat. A neat cat. A special cat. And he was lost out of a pickup in San Antonio several years ago. He was from Victoria. And somehow... He got out of the cab of the truck when they left the window down so he would be all right while they were shopping. He got out of that truck. And four weeks later, Chester crawled to the front porch of his home in Victoria. Fur missing, sad-eyed, hungry, broke, busted, and disgusted, but still alive. Nothing stopped Chester from going home. Don't let a cat make it back to his master, and you don't. We're like Tom Baudet around here. We got the light turned on for you. Supper's on the table. You need to come on home. See, because someday we all have an appointment. The only appointment we're all going to keep is that appointment. It's appointed, it's appointed on demand. I hate to preach this way, but I'm so heavy. It was hard to stand on the porch today, I'm so heavy, but it's appointed under man once to die after that judgment and I gotta gotta share something with you I hate to hurt your feelings but just showing up in professing the Lord just showing up is not repentance just showing up is not getting in that water just showing up is not claiming the Lord you hear me just showing up I know you love me but you gotta love somebody bigger than me you gotta love somebody bigger than me Gotta love somebody better than me. I can't save you, but I can point you to one that can save you. You Can't turn your life around. Can't turn your heart around. You need to return to your first love. Come on home to Christian Life Church today. His wife said, when Heydad finished speaking with Pharaoh, he came to tell me. He didn't need to tell me. I could see the light in his eyes. The nameless longing had a name. It was called Home to Edom. We were going home. So she said, my story is through. How about yours? What will you do with your nameless longing? And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.